This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. One of the things we mentioned was that the essence of marriage is... Does anybody listen to what I say from week to week? Come on now. Come on now. I'm not even going to test you on all three. Just one. The essence of marriage is covenant. And Jesus said, for this reason, he said, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave. And that's the word for, or become united with, that's the Greek word for covenant. It means that you make a public declaration of undying, unrelenting love. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I bring I will bring this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining me again and for listening to more messages from Pastor Jeff. In this episode, he's continuing to look at marriage, but you can find plenty of other topics and messages and content. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines on your favorite podcast app. Right now, Pastor Jeff has a message on divorce, the reason that it happens, and specifically what Jesus says about it. This is an interesting topic that no matter what your relationship status says, there's something in this for you and I. Let's dive in with Pastor Jeff here on Today with Jeff Vines. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to continue our series called uh, Now What? And let me set the stage for you quickly so that we can put everything in context. Uh, there are often times in our lives we just don't make decisions that are consistent with the Word of God. We're all guilty. And Paul actually called himself the chief of all sinners. That's an amazing passage to me. So the guy who writes, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament says, I am chief of all sinners. None of us live perfect lives. And if you're looking for a perfect church, again, you're at the wrong place. Uh, but when we do get outside God's parameters, there are usually uh, ramifications, consequences. Uh, what happens then? Does God just leave us and abandon us and kind of says, I told you so, man, if you did that, your life was going to end up like that, so good riddance, good for you. Is that the kind of God we serve? We said no. The kind of God we serve is so filled with graciousness and kindness and mercy and compassion. He's not an enabler, but he is somebody that goes with us through the most difficult times of our lives. And I really have a heart for people who have gone through divorce. And I'm so sad it breaks my heart that the church, in some respects, has kind of labeled them with a scarlet letter or that somehow they're less than first-class citizens in the Christian kingdom. And because of that, I decided that we would start this series uh, with the whole issue of marriage and divorce. And anytime you start something like this, and singleness, anytime you start something like this, you're going to get emails with jokes. So I'm going to share a few of them with you because I just think it's only fair that you have to hear them too. Some guy wrote me a, an email and said, hey, did you know that when my wife and I got a divorce, we shared the house 50-50. She got the inside and I got the outside. <laughs> All right. One guy said marriage is a three-ring circus. It's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffer ring. Okay, that's fun too. 
Then there's uh, actually one of my favorite quotes by Winston Churchill. A lady said to him, sir, if I were married to you, I would poison you. And he said, madam, if I were married to you, I'd drink it. And so, and then finally another one, my husband and I divorced over religious differences. He thought he was God and I didn't. And so there you go. Now here's, here's why I started that way. I looked around the room, it happens in every service, guarantee you that there were some people just now not laughing. Because see, unless you've been through that and you know the pain, and don't feel guilty for laughing, I laugh too, but I'm just saying there are some people that just can't quite find it within themselves to laugh. Because if you've been through the fracture of a relationship where somebody broke your heart and broke a covenant they had made and you gave them so much of your life and they took that and threw it away, if you've been through that, these jokes just don't kind of fit, they don't sit well anymore. I read an article this past week. Uh, It's by Sam Roberts, September the 20th, 2007, and it was an article answering the question. Basically, he presents this. He said, don't bother saving up for your 25th wedding anniversary because the chances are you won't have one. And he said, we don't stay married anymore and we don't stay together anymore. What was interesting is this is a secular article and the reasons he gave for us not staying together could be written right out of the scripture. Number one, he said, the reason we don't stay together is we don't go to church anymore. Isn't that interesting? Secular article, he says, because when you go to church and you grow up in church, there's this idea of a covenant and the importance of keeping your promises and your word and enduring through difficult times. People don't go to church anymore. They don't have time. So those things haven't been etched into their character of covenant and keeping your word and keeping your promise and working on things even when it's difficult. Second, he said, people ignore significant issues that were harming their marriage and in the early days. He said, we're so busy in America, we don't have time for anything. We definitely don't have time to work on our marriage. So we thought those little problems that began to sneak into our marriage in the early days, we thought they would go away, but problems they'll seldom do. What do they do? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger until it's a giant of a problem that's not easily dismissed or defeated. Third, he said, another reason they possess, that is all of us, a life is short and then you die mentality. Here's what we tell ourselves. We say, well, you know, life is short. If my marriage doesn't work out, okay, I'll just try another one and another one and another one, but I'm not gonna work on it. Life's too short. So I'm gonna move on. And that led to the fourth one. He said, they embrace an I deserve to be happy no matter what kind of attitude or frame of mind. Today's people say, well, I'm gonna get married. If I'm not happy, I'll just divorce and go on to the next I'm not happy there. I'll try it again because it's all about me. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make me happy, even if I destroy this woman and my three kids, or even if I destroy this man and his future. Doesn't matter. What matters is my happiness. He says, because we're like that, that's why we don't stay together. I found that interesting. Tell me that's not right out of the scripture. Not word for word, but you'll find that all through the teachings of marriage and the covenant of marriage. Now, when we talked about this last week, I said, I don't want to approach this subjectively. I don't want to do it from the basis of how I feel. We all have feelings and emotions when it comes to marriage, divorce, and singleness. What I wanted to do is I wanted to know what did Jesus teach? That's my job. So if you're here, you say, well, I don't agree with that. Okay, fine. Just understand, I'm trying to give to you what Jesus actually taught about marriage. And the first thing he taught was this, very simple. In order for you to pick up anything and use it effectively and productively, you've got to know the designer and the design. And Jesus taught that marriage was designed by God, that he created marriage on the day he created us. And so if you want to know how marriage is supposed to work productively and effectively, it's probably going to be important that you know the purpose of the design. And one of the things we mentioned was that the essence of marriage is, does anybody listen to what I say from week to week? Come on now. 
Come on now. I'm not even going to test you on all three. Just one. The essence of marriage is covenant. And Jesus said, for this reason, he said, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave. And that's the word for, or become united with, that's the Greek word for covenant. It means that you make a public declaration of undying, unrelenting love, that you're going to marry this person and you're going to stay married. It's a covenant that you make. And in Jesus' mind, you weren't officially married until you made the public covenant of unrelenting, undying love. So that means you're not only marrying the person for who they are now, you're marrying them for who they will become. You say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know what they will become. That's the point. That's the one. You're making a covenant. It's important to choose wisely because this is for the rest of your life. Now I say that, but I also know that in this audience, I look, I know that there are women in here right now who, they didn't want a divorce, man. They wanted their marriage to work, but their husband became an alcoholic and he would come home after eight hours of work and drink himself till he passed out. Or maybe they had a husband who was doing drugs or had a meth lab and it was in the home and the children were being affected. She was being affected, but she didn't know what to do. She didn't want her marriage to end up like this and it destroyed her and her children. And she, you know, what do I do? And she wants to be a faithful Christ follower. So she wants to do the right thing. There are women who've been abused by their husbands, physically, verbally, all of it. And they didn't know what to do, but they knew their lives were in danger and the lives of their kids were in danger. So they took the kids and they rescued them and they still feel guilt that they did that because some pastor somewhere told her you shouldn't have done that. There was a guy this past week I read about, in order to further abuse his wife, he took the three kids up on an airplane, called her on a cell phone, and then crashed the plane, killing himself and the three children in the home of the mother-in-law. Oh, he got her good, didn't he? She stayed too long. People are hurting, and I'm just, I, I just want to encourage you with this message. I want to tell you that there is life on the other side of divorce. And I want you to hear me because I want to give you four principles that you've got to get in your life. And if you get them, no matter how bad the relationship was, no matter how bad the fracture, because we in the church have done a very bad thing. We've separated people into the divorced and non-divorced category. And what I'm going to show you is according to the Bible, we're all divorced. All of us. We're all in the same category. I thought about my daughter, Sion, this past week getting married. Now she's not married yet, but I asked the guys to crop her into a wedding dress. She was here at the second service, and I don't know if she found it funny or not. I'll find out later. I thought about the day will come when she gets married, though, and I know that I will be a wreck. I know that I will have enormous regret that I didn't shoot him when I had the chance. <laughs> There's an old country song that goes, if I'd have shot you when I wanted, I'd be out by now. I like that. I like that. Sion, one day will come, and I know that she will walk down the aisle with all these hopes and dreams of this relationship, of a family of her own. And I'm telling you that my daughter, like anybody else's daughter, according to the day's statistics, has a 50% chance of ending in shattered dreams. In fact, I, before I go on, can I tell you, there are two books I want to suggest that you read if you've been through that kind of relationship and you're on the other end of divorce. And you know I wouldn't tell you to read them unless they were really good. But the name of the books are When Happily Ever After Shatters. It's by Sue Birdseye. I read both of these books this past week to prepare for this message. And then When I Do Becomes I Don't by Laura Petherbridge. Both are excellent, excellent books. But those of you who've been through a fractured relationship, you single people, don't you tune me out. You better listen. You listen to me now. 
It's going to save you a world to hurt if you'll just hear me. Here's what you do. I want you to know that if you're ever going to move on and have life after the fracture, the divorce, and all the things that were happened, happened to you, that the first thing you got to do is you got to forgive your spouse. I know you don't want to hear that because you're going to say, Pastor Jeff, you got no idea what he did to me or what she did to me. Man, she cheated on me, Pastor Jeff. Or he did some illegal stuff in the house that put my life and the lives of our kids in jeopardy. And now he's in prison. And you want me to just forgive him? Hey, it's not about him or her right now. It's about you. And I'm telling you that those we love the most can inflict the deepest wounds. And if you don't forgive, it's going to poison you. And that poison is going to grow into a cancer that's going to kill you spiritually. It might even start to do physical damage. And also in the life of your kids, the only way forward for you and your children is to forgive your spouse, whatever it is they did to you. Somebody said unforgiveness is like an acid. It destroys the vessel in which it's stored. Bitterness and anger are gonna kill you from the inside out. Somebody else said you can't swallow poison and expect the other person to die. You gotta forgive. If you don't forgive, I promise you, first of all, you're gonna become one of those high maintenance people because every time your friends are around you, all you wanna talk about is what he or she did. And that's okay for a couple of weeks, maybe in a couple of months, but the time comes they'll run from you like the plague because you are a plague. The poison and the anger and the bitterness just grows and it becomes that cancer and it spreads over in the life of your kids. And you know what happens to both of you? You become porcupines. Have you ever tried to hug a porcupine? You can't hug porcupines. Porcupine syndrome is real. It's when that you have so much bitterness and anger inside you that nobody can get close to you. You can't love somebody who doesn't love themselves. You've got to forgive now, let me clarify. Forgiveness does not mean that you pretend that the offense was insignificant. It doesn't mean that immediately you go back and trust, back into the relationship. It, sometimes it doesn't even mean that you lift the restraining order. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you put yourself back in harm's way. Sometimes it is the right thing to do to get out of the house and leave your husband because your life's in jeopardy and your children's lives are in jeopardy. Did you know that? We talked about that last week on the basis of the Greek word porneia, that Jesus said there is a clause for separation and divorce. And it's that level of immorality, that poison that gets into your husband or wife to such a degree that the only thing you can do is amputate before the poison spreads over into the wife or the husband and the children. So forgiveness doesn't mean that you put yourself back into that relationship or back where your husband can beat you or abuse you or your wife can continue to manipulate you and to cheat on you and to bring havoc into your marriage. Forgiveness instead means that you give the offender and the circumstances over to God and that you genuinely wish the offender well in the years to come. That's what forgiveness is. Philip Yancey puts it like this. He says, if we do not transcend nature, that's nature says don't forgive. We remain bound to the people we cannot forgive, held in their vice grip, the principle applies even when one party is wholly innocent and the other wholly responsible. For the innocent party will bear the wound until he or she can find a way to release it, and forgiveness is the only way. You know what forgiveness and love have in common, folks? They're both an act of the will. Did you know that? Do you think there are days I don't feel like loving my wife? Oh, yeah. But I choose to love her because love is more than an emotion. It is an act of the will. I can choose to love somebody that at that moment seems unlovable. Do you know what forgiveness is? 
It's also not an emotion. It is an act of the will. You can choose to forgive somebody you don't feel like forgiving. I promise you, for some of you, there's somebody in your life you don't feel like forgiving. And that's just starting with your mother-in-law. You can go on down the line from there. But you can choose to forgive. It's not an emotion. It is an act of the will. And you say, Pastor Jeff, I want to forgive, but you've got no idea the damage that's been done. I know you're right. I don't. Pastor Jeff, it was physical. It was sexual. It was all of the above. You, I, I just can't just one day decide. I, yes, you can. And here's how. You stare at the cross until it happens. That's why we started the series the way we did. Remember what Jesus went through for you while you were still sinners Christ died for the ungodly. Everything he went through for you, through the scourging to the cross, as you look at it, it's supposed to remind you of what God is willing to do to provide you with forgiveness. Surely if God's willing to do that for you, to give the life of his own son, you can forgive somebody who's offended you. In fact, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll know someone who really gets forgiveness from God because they will be willing to forgive others. That's how you know the genuine, authentic article of a Christ follower. I'm telling you, look at the cross. Put a cross on the back door of your home. Put it over, I don't know, on the ceiling in your living room. Just put it somewhere where you can see it every day because forgiveness is a 24-hour thing. The next morning you'll wake up and you won't feel like forgiving again. You've got to look at the cross yet again. Look at it every day, and every time you look at it, sooner or later, you'll be able to drink in the devotion and the compassion and the mercy that Christ gave us as infidels, as people who are also involved in infidelity. Number one, forgive your spouse. Number two, make your peace with God. Only way you can go forward. There was a, a couple in our church in New Zealand, very athletic, uh, interesting marriage. They got married, and then he would leave and come back and leave and come back. This happened for years. And every time she would take him back. I've seen that happen so many times. And finally, one day he said, I'm leaving. And both of these were church members. And I would go talk to him every time he left. He'd come back. But finally, one day he said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving for good. Now, at the same time he was going through that, she was praying desperately on her knees every day, I believe, praying that God would bring her husband back. So one day he tells her, I'm, not, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And he was serious because he didn't. And she asked if I'd go see him. I went to see him. And I said, man, what are you doing? You are a Christ follower. And you've made a covenant. And this woman has been faithful to you. You've told me there's no adultery. There's no infidelity. There's nothing there. And you... You now decide to leave her. Why? And his answer was this, Pastor Jeff, because she just doesn't give me everything I want. And I said to him, do you think you give her everything she wants? And he said, well, I'm not going to get in an argument with you. That's what people say when they know I got them. <laughs> I'm not going to get in an argument with you, but I'm just telling you, I don't want to hear the platitudes. I'm just not going back. She doesn't give me everything I want or need. And I said a few more words to him, but then he left. I noticed about a month or two later, she was no longer coming to church and she was absent. So I went to see her. I said, Donna, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I've given up on God and church and faith completely. I said, why? Listen to the irony. She said, because I asked God for something and he just didn't give me everything I needed. And I said, Donna, do you realize that's exactly what your husband told me when I asked him why he left you, that you didn't give him everything that he needed. His love for you was contingent on your perfection and given everything he wanted and you're telling me now that your love for God is contingent on God giving you everything you ask for and want. Otherwise, you're out of here. You know what happened? She got it. I don't always tell stories of victory, but this was a victory. Her eyes were open almost instantaneously. She came back and went through the healing process. 
Let me tell you something about God and your marriage. Nobody wanted your marriage to work more than God. Nobody. But God is not going to violate the freedom of your spouse. When you prayed, according to James 5, that God would bring your husband back, bring your wife back, you know what God did? God released his divine energy into that situation and orchestrated events in your husband or your wife's life to open their eyes to the reality they made a covenant and they need to go back to their husband or wife. That would be the right thing to do. That would be the God-honoring thing to do. But the decision is still left up to them. It is not God's fault that your marriage broke up, folks. That rests with you as an individual or your husband or your wife. As a matter of fact, what God does tell you is whatever you go through, he will never leave you or abandon you ever. In fact, he'll hold you up in the darkest days of your life. Psalm 48, 14 says, but he has never left you for this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our God even to death. He's, he's so committed to staying and being with us that he walks us through life and he walks us through death into the life to come. Who else makes that kind of promise? And what about Psalm 23? Apply that into how you felt during the breakup. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's so much spiritual and emotional turmoil going on with the fracture of a relationship, but there is one who can make you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He refreshes your soul. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Nobody wanted your marriage to work out more than God, but God is not gonna make your husband or wife do anything they don't wanna do. Ultimately, the freedom of choice is up to us in the same way that Jesus offers salvation to all who call on his name. Reconciliation can happen in every marriage when there are two people who want it to work. By the way, if your marriage is in trouble right now and you've not gone through the divorce, you know, you can save it, but it takes both of you. If one wants and the other has no interest, you're beating your head against the wall. It takes two people who want this marriage to work, which is why it's important to marry somebody who respects the covenant of marriage from the day one. Number one, you gotta forgive your spouse. Number two, you gotta make your peace with God. Number three, don't give up on marriage. Listen, you had a bad marriage. I don't know why it ended, but it did. And regardless of the reason it ended, you're on the other side of it now. And God loves you, and I'm going to show you how much just in a moment. But don't give up on marriage. Don't give up. What, Pastor Jeff? Are you saying that God may send me someone? Yes, I am. There might be somebody out there for you. The Bible says, remember the first malediction, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for woman to be alone. The reason you desire a soulmate, the reason you desire somebody is because you're created in the image of God. You're actually made like that. Did you know that? You say, oh, I went through one marriage. No way I'm going to go through another one. Don't give up on marriage. I asked my wife once, I said, what would you do if I died? Would you remarry? That's a stupid question to ever ask a spouse. I can say. <laughs> and she, first she said, no, I just sit home and cry all day for the rest of my life. I said, no, really, would you? And she goes, no, there's no way I could train two children up in the way they should go. <laughs> Don't give up on marriage. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
This is my favorite part of the message, it's the end. And I guarantee you, there are some of you who've been in church for 20, 30 years and you've never seen the scripture. As you go through the Old Testament, what is the number one metaphor used to describe God's relationship with his people? Marriage, I betrothed you, the bride, the bridegroom. And even through the New Testament, still a primary metaphor. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.